One of the feuds you had in Japan that carried over to America later on was against Masato Tanaka. How do you enjoy working with Masato? Uh, it's great, you know. Um, it was great working with him. We had some really great matches. It's just every time, though, that I know I've got to work him, mm -hmm. I don't know, I'm on edge because I know that he's going to beat the hell out of me. And I know he, he, I know he's not liking it because he knows I'm going to beat the hell out of him. We just beat the hell out of each other, and we had this chemistry. And, you know, it's not like we're really pissed off. Uh, we just had this chemistry where we go out there, and we, we've worked so many hard, brutal matches in, in Japan with FMW before that we just we continue to do it. Not many people will go step in the ring and have matches the way Tanaka and I will have against each other. guys welcome back it's another episode of the new blood rising podcast and our special series known as the perfect tens i am william rinkin and today i am going to be joined by a very special guest because i'll tell you one of the things that's really fun here as we've hit into year five of the pod is really trying to make a conscious effort of listening to a lot of new wrestling pods that are that are out there because you know for years, you know, I've been kind of stuck in like the three or four, and I shouldn't say stuck because I like listening to them, but you, know, you kind of get in the groove of the pods you've listened to for years. But the thing is, what's what's fun is wrestling is very generational, and people can bring a lot of new perspectives to wrestling. So I say all that, that uh, just to say that I've got, uh, I've listened to a pod recently. You've heard me plug it. I think it's an outstanding, new, different type of wrestling pod. And I'm really excited to have this guy on the line. This is Tom Franken from the Stranger Rings podcast, which I swear I don't even I can't even remember how I found you, Tom. Um, I can't remember. Like, I think I just saw it in a tweet. That's what's so cool sometimes about Twitter and finding you guys and listening to I think the first one I dove into. I can't I may have been Ray versus Eddie. No, I'm sorry. It was Taker. It was of course it was Taker because that's what we do. It's a lot yes. of stuff. It was Taker and uh and Paul Bearer and the de the death of quote the death, not the real death, but the the let's get rid of Paul Bearer in the storyline. Yeah, the concrete it's, crypt. The the concrete crypt. So <laughs> man, I'll tell you, man, that 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 really sold me. So I I'm glad you're on for this perfect ten here today. Thank you for doing this. Thanks for having me, man. Like I said, I'm a big fan of the, I think I found you guys on Twitter as well. And I um, checked out the podcast and I made my way through the ECW season, which um, it, it, you guys just did such a great job. Um, and it was a lot of stuff that um, I didn't grow up watching, but so I had to kind of catch up on it. But it, you guys just did such a fantastic job and it's really exciting um, to be able to talk about ecw even if it's it um not quite in the golden era right well i appreciate it man e that season i i think really is my favorite of the ones we've done just because part of it is like it is this not is awesome 1990s capsule of time you know just reliving like it, it, revisiting some of these wrestlers before they would get pulled into wcw or wwf in the midst of kind of their raw and unfinished form 
their entrance themes and just the the punk rock nature of VCW, the whole the whole thing of it. You know, that's what made that season really special. And I think it's cool then that you picked this match. So let's dive into it. You you wanted to do Mike Awesome versus Masato Tanaka. The one you chose was from One Night Stand 2005. So let's talk about it a little bit. First off, why this one? So I to me, this is one of my favorite matches of all time. Um, I didn't grow up watching ECW as we were talking about before. I actually I grew up watching in the Ruthless Aggression era. So the first ECW that I ever watched was on Sci-Fi. So the terrible WWE CW is the first ECW that I've ever seen. Now, I I was intrigued enough by it where I got an ECW DVD from my um, parents for, I believe it was Christmas, and it was like ECW's most extreme matches or something in Walmart, but it had this match on it. And to me, it was... I had never, as a 10-year-old kid, never seen anything like it. Um, I'm glad my parents weren't in the room when I was watching it because they probably would have had me turn it off. Dude, the fact that, so <laughs> you're, ten, you're, you're, hold on, you're 10 years old and at Christmas your parents get you an ECW DVD? Yes, I was a getting really big into WWE at that point and they saw it and said, oh, well, it looks good to me. That's <laughs> awesome. That is awesome. They deserve a, a five-star review on iTunes just for that. That's fantastic. Oh, I agree. They have put up for, especially, like, my dad, who never really was into wrestling. Like, neither one of my parents were into wrestling when they were kids. But I managed to convert my dad a bit into an independent wrestling fan. So uh, we took I, we went up to an AEW event a little while ago. So I managed to convert through that. But it's um, it, it was a really cool to be able to get to check out ECW at such an early age. So then, so I'm trying to think. So you, what year is, so you're 10 years old. What year is that? 2006. Okay. So, all right. So you, wow. So did you see this match? Like, I'm not going to say live, but you know what I mean? Like fairly close after it happened. Um, I started watching wrestling in late Oh five and early Oh six. So I missed that. Um, but I, man, I'll, I'll tell you like this era of WWE is in my wheelhouse. Um, I've gone back and watched a lot of it. Um, and kind of like how everybody as a kid, they have that nostalgia around a certain era. So like, like you were talking about with the early 1990s for plus the attitude era, um, when you were growing up for me. I still have a little bit of that nostalgia of the ruthless aggression as much of a mess as it can be at times. It's still there. There's a lot of good stuff there. You just kind of got to dig through it. And this is one of the gems. It is. And I'll tell you, man. So when we, when we talk about awesome and Tanaka, the thing that's like right off the bat, that's fascinating is that unlike a lot of other feuds or matchups throughout the years, there's not a lot of like storyline to these guys. I mean, this is a, a feud that's based around who is going to be the tougher guy in the ring. And that's right. it. Like, that's really all it is. Um, so let me ask you how, like, obviously before one night stand five, there are, they, they have, they have three major ECW pay-per-view matches. They actually, what's crazy is they match up in ECW, I think 14 times total. It yeah. ends it ends up being, I think the breakdown is, it's something like, oh, I'm sorry, I think it's, uh, no, I th- 
No, I think I have a. I think I have a wrong. I think it's only nine times in ECW. I'm sorry, nine times in ECW, and I think it's like five to four. Awesome. It's like it is literally back and forth with them. So, how soon do you see this match? Is this the first match that you see between these two? Oh five. Um, it, it's probably a draw between this one and the Heat Wave '98 match. So you so so you saw both of those close together. Yes, yeah. Um, gotcha. and I the Heat Wave because it was more you know going back to watch it like. Uh, and recently, I just went back and watched uh, all of their ECW matches. Um, okay. And still, the one that I think of immediately is One Night Stand. Interesting. No, that's cool. Like, I mean, they're because the Heat Wave one really put them on the map in the states. Right. And it's it's some people now. We're gonna say this phrase "some people" a lot because there's some people that say the Heat Wave one is the one, and then there's some that say that the the November to Remember when they did over a year later is the best of of their run facing off against each other and of course the anarchy rules one i mean you can't you can't sleep on that one because they the thing with taz really makes it interesting because you're going to have the champ in a three-way dance get knocked out within the first two minutes and then you're going to have austin and tanaka basically have a one-on-one the rest of the way so it's it's tough man like the thing that's funny about them is they know their they know their hits and they play them. They know how to play them. What's interesting about their matches because they're all different lengths. Depending on the length is how much. It's almost like a pay, its own Patreon descri- uh, <laughs> subscription. You pay, <laughs> if you get the ten minute Masato Tanaka Mike Awesome match, you're gonna get all these moves. But if you get the, if you get the fifteen minute one, you're gonna get all of these, including t- somebody getting power bombed through the table. So on the outside, so. All right, so what do you remember? Like, how how do you look at this pay per view? And I and I'm trying to think like if if the best way to talk about it is like from when you were, I guess from when you were a fan just starting out. What kind of um, memories do you have of ECW One Night Stand '05? Um, to me, ECW was like this mythical thing where. I heard about it like from I had a really good friend whose um, brothers were huge ECW fans like they're big Raven fans. And so I heard about it as like, oh, this is a place where there were no rules, where it was hardcore. And it really like I was drawn to the hardcore matches first. So to me, it was like I got to figure out more about this. And the first one night stand that I saw was 06 where I um, so like with WWE, I was a little bit more. um uh, it, it had that more WWE flavor to it, but e- ECW One Night Stand itself, when I finally got the DVD for it, it just blew me away with even the atmosphere at Hammerstein, which was, it, it was great for 06, but 05 was on another level. It is. So it's. I remember when we talked about, when we were closing on the end of season three and we got to 05 and 06, we always joked like that if you take, some of the matches from one and some from the other, you have the perfect ECW show. If you could, if you combine the 05 and the 06 one, because the one thing that sucks about 05 is RVD can't, is not wrestling on that show. Right. That, that That's like the biggest flaw is that you don't have him on that show. And of course, 06, like it's an awesome moment. Like it's a, it's a lifelong moment for wrestling like that, that, uh, that match with Cena, the crowd, the finish. I hate the fact that RVD couldn't like he needed the edge spear to win, but whatever. Right. He still he still wins the belt, right? And so it's an awesome, 
it's an awesome moment. So, um, let me ask you this: How familiar were? Did you watch any? Did you go back and watch any of Awesome and Tanaka in Japan? Um, I did see one FMW match that they had, and it was solid, but it wasn't on the crazy level level as the rest of them mainly because they use less weapons i think they still did the uh, unprotected chair shot spot that seems yeah. to be a staple of their matches and i want to say they went for the awesome bomb on the floor and it was one of those japanese tables so i am the table and it didn't yeah. break all the way <laughs> <laughs> so i think I, I i think you and i've seen the same one there's one i know i, I watched one from 95 and i watched one from 97 because i was just curious how they're how they're how their chemistry would change because you're right like the one i watched from 95 it's 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 a wrestling match like it's more so a wrestling match with very with a few weapons being used but not really and of course he's also the gladiator which is awesome what a great name he's just love it the gladiator with some face paint on and stuff and um i it's crazy because like you look at these guys and like awesome is like six six 280 i think it is or no 292 i think he's, is what he's billed at i think tanaka's 511 240 ish is that right yeah it's 240 ish i think they um i'm trying to remember the one ecw match i think um cyrus said that he was about six foot 240 okay yeah yeah so they, it's interesting how they're they're they, they, do, they don't match up tremendously well because one is like he's clearly like taller than the other one like it's a good it's a good few inches he's got on him and he's just massive in comparison right for whatever reason these guys just matched up like just so well now i i I will be honest i am not as up on my rest of on the rest of tanaka's career to be able to judge other matches he's been in outside ecw i mean i've seen we saw some of those but for whatever and i from what we've seen with mike awesome like Besides Tanaka, I just wanted to see Mike Awesome just throw around Spike Dudley. Yes, that's <laughs> so, my oh man. <laughs> but that's the the point I'm getting at is like there's something spe- there was something special between both of these guys that what I don't get, Tom, is like in one breath, some people will say like, oh, Ric Flair and Ricky Steamboat, it's the best wrestling matches you'll ever see, blah blah blah. And it's like, how can you not include in there something like? Tanaka and Awesome because they had their in-ring chemistry together. Granted, yeah, chair shots unprotected the head aren't everybody's cup of tea and they shouldn't be. But right. you know, those matches are unbelievably entertaining. They are. And I I think that Awesome and Tanaka, what they managed to do is redefine what it is to have a classic match because a lot of people when you think classic pro wrestling match you think of a flare steamboat or savage and steamboat or um just these technical classics or even if you want to go to japan where uh with the four pillars in all japan um but not every classic match has to be this 30 40 minute minute epic it can be different like even guys like uh brock lesnar and goldberg their match at mania 33 now it might be a little bit of a stretch to call it a classic but it was a tremendously entertaining match and i think that when it or even nowadays when it comes to 
guys like Will Ospreay and Ricochet and what they're doing. It's different than the stereotypical classic, but it's still so entertaining that there are people that call those types of matches some of the greatest they've ever seen. I'll tell you, man, you do not have to sell hard for me to buy in on um, on Goldberg Lesnar from 33. That is an outstanding match. I remember Charlie and I watched that Mania together, and with Mania being six hours or so, like I mean, you know this, man. It's it's tough sometimes to stay right. invested for that show. When that came on, that really ignited that show. And damn, man, I mean, that's. That that more than made up for their WrestleMania 20 match, more than made up for it because they re, they it was an old school type of two big guys just going at it, which right. is everything that we wanted like 13 years before. So you know, man, that's a good call on on that type of match. Let me ask you, when you watch Tanaka and Awesome generally, what is it you like? in watching their matches that really stands out as far enough to where we're doing this tonight what specifically do you like in their matches together i love that they bring out the best at, uh in each other without taking away from each other's uh, or like exposing each other's weaknesses so like masato tanaka mike awesome are guys that are gonna have um necessarily a technical type of matchup of course um with Tanaka, it shows how tough he is, and I think McFoley says he's one of the toughest men that he's seen in a ring. And Tanaka shows it every time when he takes that chair shot and he gets back up, or if he gets power bombed through a table and he gets back up and he gives that look. That's just it's like a magical moment. Or if you see Mike Awesome jump over the ropes and land on somebody, or he gets that air on that frog splash, you're getting the best of both guys. And I think in pro wrestling there's a lot of times where these people don't bring out the best in each other. Um, with, with the chemistry that these guys have, it, it, there's never a match between them that I could say I wasn't entertained by. Um, I mean, what you, you're absolutely right. Like, when you're talking about they get the best out of each other, like, I mean, there, there is an argument that, like, this is the very best that you'll see. I know, again, I can't... I. I feel bad saying it for Tanaka, but I do feel it's true for Awesome. There really aren't that I don't think there are that many Mike Awesome matches outside of his matches with Tanaka that come even close. Right. To, to the Tanaka ones. I it's they just I just don't think they I don't think there are that many like I mean in the WCW run, I mean, I mean there there's not enough there there's probably not enough good um no. we can't we can't probably find a lot of good at saying from that run. And definitely not his WWF. I mean, I was watching the other day, like I just watching him job on velocity is tough. It's tough watching him just job out to Bull Buchanan. Bull Buchanan. Oh, man. We saw the same match then. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, and it's the, and of course, I love it. It's, it's, we're supposed to take Bull Buchanan seriously because he's in shorts and he's, he's, he's uh, doing some springboard stuff. And it's like, yeah, so can Mike Awesome. And he does it better. Absolutely. Way better. So, yeah, that that stuff that stuff's tough to watch with it. And um, how has all right? So how many times would you say you've seen this match over the years? Um, probably an embarrassingly high number. Um, probably about good twenty five times. Like okay. I love watching this match. Um, like, what would you say? Like from viewing number one to viewing number I don't know. 
17, 18, all the way up to 25. What's one thing that you picked up on or have picked up on in the later viewings that you really didn't notice or didn't think about with the first one? Um, I think the one of the things that at least I sensed from the beginning was there seemed to be a little bit less um, from Awesome and Tanaka. I'm trying to think of the right word for it, like machismo, where like they weren't as confident. It almost looked a little bit like with the body language or the look in the eyes. It may, they were amped for the matchup, but they had that little bit of apprehension um, in front of the crowd, maybe because it's like... Uh, they're two gunfighters coming out like that. They haven't had a duel in a long time. Uh, to me, just looking at like Mike Awesome's face where he's scanning around for the crowd, looking, uh, looking amped or Tanaka where he's just not, he's just got his eyes locked in on the ring as to not, uh, look at the crowd to me that it seems like they're, they know what they have to do, but are they going to be able to recreate the magic? I like that. Yeah, because um, when I rewatch this again for this show, like I, I couldn't like it, it's tough, man. Like after like since Mike Awesome's passing, it's really hard not to think about him in a different way. You know, when right. you see him go out there, especially in 05, because we're like he's in a year, he'll be dead and one year he will be passed away. Right. And and when you see him come out, like it really is that kind of special look. Like I don't want to be super cheesy and say I'm home. Cause clear. I, I don't, I mean that, but you know what I mean? Like he's back in that place where he's, he can, he can show you everything that he can totally do. And he's not going to be shackled by backstage politics, absurd, uh, bad writing or just right. bad gimmicks. He's going to get to do what he really can. That's a good point um, to make on that. I guess it bears worth mentioning that like the, this whole sh- it's really neat that this whole show is born out of us uh, out of an awesome documentary. You know, it's right. really, really neat um, that uh, did, do you do you own it? Do you own Rise and Fall of ECW? Um, I believe I rented it a while back and saw it. Um, I actually own they did a um, accompanying book of it um rise and fall of ecw and i've read that book quite a few times over nice. um and i think it has a lot of the the details in but it, it leaves some of the stuff out uh that other books like i think there was an unauthorized history of ecw too that i've read i wore out yeah um, but that's uh, that you know as far as wwe docs go like that was that was one of the first really cool ones that i remember because like and you know you look at what they're doing now and you're watching stuff like The Last Ride, and you're like, man, they really figured out how to how to tell better stories. They figured out how to tell better stories in a documentary form. That one, I'm, I'm, and I didn't see it till years later because, like, I was not super into wrestling 0506. So I watched this for the first time, I think, with Charlie in 2010 or something like that, like five years after the fact. That and the the rise and fall doc and i was just like man and i and watching that doc like you got amped and it's no surprise that like that thing really got everybody's momentum shifting towards dude you know what we need to do we need to do more ecw cool so let's do this show but um yeah it's it's an awesome show to watch i mean it's definitely one it's got its cringeworthy moments both 
you know, in the in the ring sometimes with some of the stuff. And of course, a lot of the stuff on commentary. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> but man, um, yeah. So uh, before we get in the match, what else? Like, is there anything else? Like, uh, we can kind of call it a mini notebook dump here a little bit. Like, is there anything you want to say or talk about before we get into the match part itself? Um, I I think. I wanted to say that One Night Stand 05 to me is one of the events that when I finished watching it, I just got like a special feeling about it. Like I watched something that was I, I and I'll compare it to one of my favorite events that I've ever watched was actually WrestleMania 31 was after watching it. I got excited to see what happens next. Yeah. And with watching One Night Stand 05, after seeing that, it's, man, I need to get my hands on more ECW. Um, it, to me, even though, it, like you said, it has its faults, and there's some moments where are that are better than others, it still gives like that special feeling that, that makes me happy to be a wrestling fan, just with the show in general, and then especially with this match. The ending is a great feel-good like kind of moment having especially having stone cold pop out for a minute since he was in ecw having him out there with the sandman you know it's just like cool you get it's like it's having in a weird universe your your bat uh your superman and captain america standing yeah. next to each other you know something like that so there are that um it's always in the endings of these shows like you could have just a crud middle of a show but if you end it with something really cool like, man, that makes everything. I mean, a great case in point is you look at WrestleMania 30. The second The Undertaker loses, like, I'm not going to lie, man. Like, that kind of kills the show. But, I agree. But the good thing is, if you're going to do that, this was the show to do it because the ending is just so good. Right. I mean, that, that makes you feel good. And I love what you said about 31 because I, that ending to 31 was something like – I. It was it was something it was something new. They hadn't really done that. I don't think they'd done a cash in like that, had they? At the end of a uh, a mania? No, no, they'd never done it at mania before, and they'd never done it in the middle of a match either. So yeah. it, it's yeah. just really cool. Like I, I remember why I was um out at college at my dorm and watching it and seeing Seth Rollins run in with money in the bank, and I just I had to I was in a um like a room with a few other people so i had to try really hard not to like start yelling <laughs> oh, oh yeah because you i mean i remember jumping up because it was like oh my god like are they gonna do it and then the the sequence that they use to finish the match is so good it's such a good idea of how to do it like have reigns spear lesnar he takes the he takes the uh the curb stomp and that's how you finish it that that moment at the end i mean dude i'll you're right there man um that next night i'm like what is lesnar gonna do what is lesnar going to do and the way he trashes the entire place and leaves poor byron sexton having to (laughs) i think isn't it isn't it him who has to commentate and it's dreadful yeah i'm pretty sure because michael (laughs) cole got f5'd out of his shoe (laughs) it's so funny i remember the Somebody took a picture from like, you know, way up or whatever. And you could just see like poor, poor Byron is like barricaded behind all this trashed furniture. <laughs> and, and the commentary was just so like, oh man, it appears now he's, uh, 
it's an Irish whip and <laughs> a hip toss. It's very subdued, and it's just like you could just tell Vince is like, just get Lawler out there, get him <laughs> out there. He's Byron probably had a little help me sign written, like <laughs> <laughs> man. Well, good, dude. All right, so let's let's do this. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, let's get into this one night stand o five match between Awesome and Tanaka. Hey, this is the franchise Shane Douglas, and you're listening to the New World Rise. <laughs> yeah. All right, guys, we're back. So, Tom, walk me through. Like, drive this. Walk me through. ECW One Night Sando 5, we're talking Mike Awesome versus Masato Tanaka. Let's talk, talk about this match. Um, so first I wanted to start with the entrances and just how, it, like, as soon as Awesome's music hits, like, and now I don't know if he came out to this song, um, the whatever the Awesome Bomb song is that he walks out to, at least on the WWE Network version. I'm not sure what he walked out to on the actual pay-per-view, if it was this or not, but it's like this perfect hair metal type thing that's, like, you could see the gladiator from Japan coming out. Um, he, he comes out, he's got, he's looking a lot different than 2000 2000 ECW where he doesn't have the mullet anymore, which is the major factor. Um, he doesn't have that and he looks a little bit, not quite as jacked as he used to be. He's still in great shape, but he's, he's looking a little bit older and, but he looks amped for the match and not just amped, but a little bit like, like I'd mentioned before, almost apprehensive where he he knows what he has to do, but is he going to be able to live up to the standards of before? Yeah. Um, and, and I think that, and I love where he gets a little bit more attitude when he gets into the ring where he looks around and he looks to the balcony to all the WWE stars and he gives them the, uh, the little F you to them, um, which I thought was a nice moment. And then he started getting on um, the referee as well, pointing at him, which was a, a nice little, um, teaser for what happens later um then we get to uh tanaka's entrance before tanaka's entrance is when probably my least favorite part of this entire match is just joey styles oh man man. oh i mean i'm i'm glad we're doing this now because this yeah this kills this match in a lot of ways like this kills like it kills it to the point where you just need to turn the audio off or or something it's cringeworthy and not just the fact that he says the line, of course, like, you know, he should have, you know, right. he did a suicide dive and it should have finished the job. And, you know, I, Joey didn't know, Joey had no clue what would happen right. here. So I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to kill him for that. But what right. I will is like, I mean, it's too much. Like it's way it too much. Even Mick, you can see. And I, I, you know, that's, what's fun to revisit this again. It's like, I had forgotten momentarily that Mick Foley was the other commentator. Does yep. a pretty good, pretty good job in this match. He has a tough time. He's got a roll. He's got to rein in Joey Styles, who just won't freaking stop with the, oh, just the yeah. rundown on awesome. But anyway, buddy, go ahead. Yeah. And, and just the fact that where he starts in on him immediately, he calls him a Judas, like, which he probably repeats about 10 or 12 times. Um, he, like he's a Judas, he's a sob. And it, it, 
I think that one of the best things about this match and what I like so much about it is it didn't have a lot going for it atmosphere wise with the commentary and with the constant cuts to the WWE guys in the balcony. But the fact that it's still as great as it was, despite these things that are happening, I, I think it makes it even more special. Um, and you get Tanaka come into the ring where he's just got laser vision towards awesome. He's not, he's given some high fives to the crowd, but he's ready. For, he's ready for war essentially. And I immediately, you could tell these two, they start jawing back and forth and we get a little cut to the raw superstars like that. They turn like um, coachman and Bischoff and they turn their backs on awesome and Tanaka and, uh, it's foreshadowing for later, and I think it got to be a little bit much with the camera cuts during the match. No. But the focus, you know, I, what I want to focus on is Awesome and Tanaka because these guys immediately they they start hot, and Mick puts over Masato Tanaka as one of, like he said, one of the toughest men that I've ever seen in a Japanese ring. And they they start off with these these hard shops like these overhand shots and immediately you could tell like okay well it's going down now like this is this is for real and there they start off maybe a little bit sloppy where Masato goes for a shoulder block and he gets caught with this belly-to-belly suplex that's not really a clean shot but it, it it's effective um but then they move to the uh, the what one of the things that impresses me about this match is that they have a lot of counters. Um, for for the most part, with their other matches, it was more one guy takes control and then the other one does. Um, I I think with this match, it was cool where we got to see different moves get countered and like how there was even though a lot of people will say that this was just a car crash, there was a lot of psychology here where Tanaka kept going for that roaring elbow and if he hits it, the match is over. But he never got a chance to hit it. It's a good uh-huh. call. Yeah, that's it. Because, and I think that's a good point because, on the surface, you're not going to see a lot, psych- a lot of psychology to it, right? and it's not to be pretentious, but you almost, you almost do have to look at those other matches beforehand to really get the whole experience because right. they have, they know each other so well and awesome. Like, I, see, I sometimes get their matches confused because one thing I always love is when Tanaka fires up. But then Awesome's like, oh, no, 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 no. And he finds a way <laughs> to cut it off or something like that because he knows it's coming. And even though he knows he's got to beat this guy to death, he knows that the harder he beats on him, the more he's going to fire up. But then he'll find a way to cut it off or something like that. I love that. And I think that goes back to what you're saying, like in those entrances where like Awesome has that apprehension a little bit. Like, can he can, can he stand up to him one more time? Because we, we talked about it, the records. It's. It's nearly dead even in ECW between the two of them. So it's that close. So now I think that's really cool talking about the psychology of it. Yeah, and and I I think it's something that gets lost a lot with these types of matches because they are I mean they are car crashes if you for lack of a better term but there are small story things that you can see um in just small things that each of these guys do that really puts the other over. Um, and I think that the psychology was the biggest part with that. Um, now there, 
awesome had showed like some of his agility right away uh, even though he's a bit of the uh, heel in this matchup just by default um, he shows he has a little bit of a shine with that um, slingshot shoulder block that he hits it looks like he just completely takes Masato's head off um, he also then that's when we get to the point where he knocks him out of the ring and awesome comes over and hits he hits it was almost undertaker like with its precision like the dive i mean it was just it was a thing of beauty and he manages to it sucks that the guardrail was right there and it kind of broke his fall um and he, he it, it looked like a na- it was a pretty dive with a nasty ending um it was really something and that's where we got the Joey Styles line uh, that I, I'm not going to give too much credence to just due to the fact that I want to keep this more about the match itself. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. But there was an excellent dive and a really it, it's something that it's almost more modern with its style where you get that dive early. And that's something that's been a staple in Tanaka and awesome matches um, is that early dive by awesome. But it, it's really it, it could be considered as an influence to, I'm sure some other wrestlers have seen this match and thought, man, I want to do some of that uh, with less head chair shots to the head, but more like that, the slingshot shoulder block or the dive over the ropes. Um, I, just looking at my notes real quick. There was a, as soon as the dive happens, I noticed that they, they cut away to the WWE guys again and you get JBL acting at, JBL acting like a jerk for most of this matchup, but I like to watch the other wrestlers that were in the balcony because after this dive, they cut to JBL and he's making fun of them or whatever. But Carlito and Orlando Jordan popped to their feet and yeah, are like so looking you at the ring. Nailed it. You nailed exactly. <clears throat> this is what I was watching for this time <clears throat> was um, what was really going on in the balcony because I'm. I'm like you, man. The cutaways are excessive. Like, I just like right. I, I just want to see the match. But what I noticed a few times was that those guys are supposed to be, like, you know, the, the enemies up there. But if you watch all those other guys, like, like you're saying, Orlando jo- Jordan was the one I picked up on. Those guys are, they're into this match. Like, they're enjoying it. And in right. a lot of ways, like, they're really respectful of it, considering it's ECW. We know what, you know, we know what the reputation is with these matches. You know, a lot of them are just, I mean, the worst kind of car wrecks in the world. But, man, they, there is a little bit of reverence for this match that's coming from those guys in that balcony. It's very evident. Absolutely. And I think that's just a cool part where these guys get to be fans. And that's something that it, it's it definitely helps the match, I would say. Now, I know that they, they kind of would have to it's good that WWE didn't script their reaction, like for them to actually get involved and really get in, excited about these matchups because they were there essentially to bury it. Um, but I like that other than the biggest offenders like a JBL or a Bischoff, even though Bischoff was pretty much working the entire time um, it, there, we got to see some appreciation from fellow wrestlers. Um, so back to the match, there was a, Tanaka got control again with the backdrop over the first row and the um, running ch- headshot. We get the first headshot of the night and or of, of the match, but it 
sounded with you could tell the difference between a WWE production and an ECW production because it sounded like a gun went off in the arena when oh. that first share connected. Yeah. And I I have such mixed feelings about these share shots to the head because in in a visceral way like it sounds really really cool but when you it's impossible to look at it and not think okay well these guys are scrambling their brains right and that's the only thing one of the only things to me that really hurts the rewatch of this matchup but when we get into it a little bit later one of the coolest moments in this match results from a chair shot to the head um and that's it's something that I kind of struggle with as a wrestling fan to figure what's the line between appreciation and then trying to figure out like what's best for the wrestlers. Yeah, that's I mean, that's a tough one, uh, Tom, because, you know, that that's become a lot of like how we view wrestling now in these like these years from 2015 on. It feels like somewhere in this these last five, six years where we're almost guilty like we feel guilty watching this where like i mean at the time like even when i first saw this i was like man this match is phenomenal like i mean they're they're killed they're killing each other out there and i mean like part of the thing is like those guys they have a there's a choice on their end if they want to put their if they want to put their hands up or they don't and i the tough thing is to try and put on the moral police hat and and wonder like, oh, well, you know, it. if you like the match, you like the match. And I think you got to sometimes not, I, I feel like you got to not think about that stuff too much. Otherwise, right. what are we going to like anymore? Like, are we going to like, are we going to like anything, you know, any wrestling at this point? Because dang, man, I mean, my guy is Austin. There's a lot of Austin matches where those chairs are flying like crazy and he's right. throwing some nasty shots. And it's like, what am I, what am I going to do? Like, am I going to turn those off now? Can, do I, should I feel bad about watching them? It's like, well, I, I mean, you can't help but feel something. You can't because you're a human being. But, man, it's tough. I, that's a tough thing now. Like, I, it, it's, I know where you're coming from with it. And it's one of those things where, I don't know, I just, it's a weird, it's just a weird thing to wrestle with, no pun intended. You right. Know, when we, when we watch these things. And especially the things that are in the past and especially like, you know, you can't help when you watch a Benoit match. You're going to think about it right. every, every, because in every single Benoit match, there's going to be, well, there's going to be a diving headbutt, whether it hits yeah. or not, doesn't matter. He's going to do it. Right. And then when, when you watch like, you know, Royal Rumble 01, he takes the, the worst of uh, the worst uh, there. You know, you know exactly what I'm talking yes, about. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That chair shot through the ropes that, uh, I mean, and the thing I always come back to is like that WWE, like, like WWE, we didn't, fans didn't force him to do it. Right. They didn't force him to do it. The guys chose to do that. And, you know, it was it for our, our entertainment. It was. And were we entertained? Hell yeah, we were. We had a great right. time. So I don't, I don't know, man. That's a, that's a tough one. That is a it really is. tough thing, especially, I mean, Dude, Mike Awesome matches like they're it's laced with tragedy now when you watch them because you just think about what's I mean, it's less than a year, I think. Or no, no, it's a little more than a year from when this match airs is when he dies. So, right. yeah, it's wild, man. But yeah, I mean, it's I will say like 
boy, they they could probably dial back on a few of those chair shots. That's for sure. Yeah, the, these <laughs> men were, oh my, especially um, the one that we'll get to later, like the one off the top rope. Um, oh God! <laughs> I always, you know, it was funny. Is like, as I remember, I remember as a kid, like I always used to think about, like, why didn't somebody just come off the top rope of the chair? Well, here you go. <laughs> <laughs> we got it. We got it for a two count. Too. Oh yeah, a two count. <laughs> I know. That's that was a thing, man. Like I, I watched. I when I was going through these, I swear, I think it was the '97 one where he power bombs him like seven times. It's an unbelievable amount of power bombs. Some through tables, and you're just like, oh, it'll be over. Nope. It's not over. <laughs> it's it's perfect, and it, it brings you back to like today's wrestling. That's the thing. These guys were so ahead of their time because now you get to a match where, like, not to pick on them, but John Cena, when he hits the first AA, it's, it's almost never the finish. Like, there's always that one more thing to hit, and I think wrestling has moved to that where finishers aren't quite as protected in I mean that it's not necessarily a good thing, but awesome and Tanaka with just their style was so ahead of its time. And yeah. I think it's interesting to see the influence of those types of matches compared to today. And the other thing, Tom is wasn't it cool that they just use chairs and tables. They don't get staple guns. They don't get right. barbed wire bats. They just use a chair and a table. Like it's really simple weapon storytelling, if that's even a thing. But you know what I mean? Like, right. It, it's neat that like as many matches as these guys had, they really kind of kept it to you know a, a, a pretty simple weapon set here. Right, and it's not. It it reminded me a little bit of uh, a match that I know you covered, but the um, Triple H Cactus Jack street fight at Madison Square Garden. Uh, where they only used a few weapons they and like especially like the one that comes to mind to me is the barbed wire two by four and how special that they make that weapon in the match and i think like you said that's what masada tanaka and mike awesome managed to do is with that table and with that chair how special it is like it that it could be used as it it, it's like a plot device almost yeah i and that like I, the, I think it's the Heat Wave '98 one where Tanaka does the running chair shot from the the start of the top of the ramp. Yes, yeah. All the way down. It's awesome. I mean, it's a, I mean, it's a devastating move, but it, it's, it's cool because at some point it's just like, all right, I just got to throw everything at this guy to try and put him down. Right, and it's just, and it's a lot of fun to watch. I, I mean, no matter what, it, it's fun to see like that sort of effort being put into. Okay, well, I really got to lay him out now because nothing else I'm doing is putting him down. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and we we get a lot of in this match in general. There is other than just the chair shots, there is a lot of stiffness because like awesome on the outside, he just lariats. Masato Tanaka's head right off his shoulders. I mean, he just <laughs> lays him out and he even yeah. grabs his arm afterwards to sell how hard and like those small things that they do uh, that really help put the match over is just uh, it, I the more you watch this match the more you pick up on him and I I loved it. Um there was a I f- I think at this point there was a bad commentary thing on Foley's part where I think he started making fun of Mike Awesome's haircut. He said like he lost yeah. a lot of his power without the 70s style haircut and he's like it's a mullet, Mick. Um 
again, and Foley, I think he did a decent job during this match, and I know he's not the greatest commentator in the world, but like I think that both commentators should actively work at putting over the story and the wrestlers involved, and maybe taking shots at him is not the best thing in the world. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember Mick is not particularly great on this show. He's... he's uh, I mean, he's the reason he's good in this match is he's actually trying hard to try and you know turn this ship around that right Joe that Joey's taking he's trying where Joey's taking this match and he does as good a job as he can to really right. do it. What I think is interesting as the commentary goes is how Styles has to eventually like he reluctantly like enjoy the match because it is good. It's yeah. really good. That's that just speak and again like that ties into what's going on in the balcony like. There is a power to this match as like just I mean, as cringeworthy as it may be watching some of these things, it's like there is something powerful in the way these guys could craft a story together in the ring just by absolutely beating the shit out of each other. Right. And it's it's something that you can't take your eyes away from um, no matter what what's happening here. And that's why even JBL like he was he wasn't putting the guys over he wasn't bearing him. But at one point, like they cut to him and he's like, pin him, pin him where it's the point that he actually is getting a little bit into this matchup, even if he's like crapping all over it. Right. At the same yeah. time, but you could tell he's still, uh, it still does something to him. Um, and it does something to the guys in the balcony and the crowd too. Um, we get a, another stiff lariat from awesome at one point before we get one of the biggest spots of the night. Um, and one of the craziest bumps I think that I've seen anybody in this feud take was the awesome bomb off the apron through the uh, table that was set up against the guardrail. Yeah. Um, it's crazy how many ways they've done this in the past. Like there, I remember, I remember one that was like, I, there, I know there was, there are some like where the table is not even in the, like it's not even pointed the right way. And they'll still do it. It's wild. Like it's it's almost like all right. I look at this match as like this is like the greatest hits of Tanaka and Awesome. Like if right. I pop in the CD, I know exactly what I'm gonna get. Like I'm gonna get like the I'm gonna get ten tracks, but it's the ten best tracks that this band had. And right. I, and that it the the power bomb to the uh, to the or to the floor through the table. It's like, you know, okay, it's time to play it. All right. Uh, to use a band, if we if we pick, uh, if, we, if I'm going to use Guns N' Roses, it's time for Sweet Child of Mine. All right? That's what this is. Like, this is what you guys wanted. This is why you're here. You want this. This is this. I mean, that's that was why when I was, um, I remember going back through and watching, I was thinking, I was like, all right, I know he's going to do it. I think he is. And I was hoping he would do it. And then when I saw it, I was like, yes, because that is like, the quintessential Mike Awesome Masato Tanaka spot is all right. It's time to, it's time to uh, sew this thing up. So that spot's phenomenal. I always love when they would break this out. Yes, and and the landing that Tanaka had here, the wow. only worst landing I think in this feud was when Tanaka Awesome bombed uh, Awesome over the top rope through the table to the concrete at Heat Wave '98. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's, 
that's the only worst one because Tanaka takes this neck first through the table and I replayed it maybe six or seven times. He hits it so he breaks the table, but his knee hits the table above him. Like, so it's the, the fact where he's planted directly on his neck. Yeah. It's, oh yeah, my yeah. God. And then and, like the part, the part that's like hilarious is like, like the, I don't know if it was Kevin Dunn who was running it, but it's like, they're just saying, oh, he'll probably just pick him. No, he's coming off the top. We'll cut to the cut, cut to the ring. And here comes Awesome flying over the top rope. Oh man, I was <laughs> I was thinking more about the uh, the first power bomb. I got gotcha. you. They did, I gotcha. but but yeah, that. Oh my god! But to jump to that, that's one of. The, I'm glad that they didn't cut away to a bigger dive on that point. Yeah, because it definitely seems like they weren't expecting it, and. When he did it, I was like, oh, yeah, because and then when you see the replay, like it's nasty, like it's it's awesome, like landing on like almost Undertaker's himself, you know, in the, in the past. But, you yeah, know, when Undertaker does that tope over the top rope against Michaels at uh, 25, where he just almost like just ends it all right there. It's an, oh, yeah, that's a best of luck. Spot yes, right there. That is, that is a best of luck spot. I love the fact that like it's just so nasty. It's not right. a good looking um, dive at all, but yeah. But anyway, I'm sorry, I jumped ahead. I apologize. Oh, it's okay. Like both of these, both of the awesome bomb bumps are just sick. Um, but like especially the the first one where he landed on his head through the table and it was right off the apron. And Tanaka, one of my another small thing was Tanaka's holding his neck and he's clearly in. A ridiculous amount of pain but his one eye pops open like to make sure like okay am i alive like what is happening here <laughs> and, and then when we get you know he ends up getting back into it but he just the table explodes we and then tanaka instead of just rolling over and pinning him and it's one of my again it's like he knows that just that is not enough to take out Masato Tanaka, he has to do more. So he hits the beautiful frog splash off the top rope, and the air. No matter, even though Mike Awesome, he's older, he's not. He shouldn't be as athletic as he is for his, especially for his size. He the air he gets on this frog splash is just beautiful. Um, and then that's still not enough to put him down. So that's where uh, and I thought it was an interesting thing where Tanaka doesn't really get his heat like he doesn't get the crowd behind him from his comebacks. He gets from he gets it from like the fire that he shows after these moves is just the fact that he's kicking out and the and that's when we get to. Uh, another power bomb gets hit on Tanaka where they do a little bit of a counter. He just deadlifts him and throws him down. And that's when we get to the chair spot where I think awesome slides two chairs on the ring and Tanaka picks up one and awesome goes for a chair shot. It gets ducked. Tanaka goes for one gets ducked. And that's when we get to more um, awesome. Just lays waste to Tanaka with this chair with the one shot and it's only staggers him. So he hits the second one and it's just one of my favorite moments. I'm getting chills just talking uh, about it, but he, he just gets hit with the second one. He screams and he looks at him and Oh my goodness. What a moment. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, that uh, underrated um, guy who can fire up really well is Tanaka. Like his, 
his fire up, especially after those chair shots, is, is just phenomenal. Because it's one of those things, man. Like you, you don't you don't think about necessarily a Japanese wrestler having that much fire on a comeback. You just don't. Like you, the person you think about is you think first about Hulk Hogan, right? You think right. about like you think about him hulking up, right? You think about. Right. Um, I know there's one of my favorites is WrestleMania 13 when Austin is like he's a mess of blood his knee is just all messed up from brett working on it and yet he just pops up and you see the head bobbing the blood's flying and he's ready to rock and roll and he starts unloading on brett like there are a few of those that you know you know that really stick out in your mind and i mean um of course ultimate warrior like you know as he starts shaking the ropes he's starting to get the power back but there's something about tanaka it's like that it's that combination of like that just that look on his face and that sound that he makes where you're just like, oh, yeah, I'm in. I'm 100% in with this guy. Right, and that's a thing that blows me away is the fact when people say this is just a car crash, this is just, it. these guys know how to work, and they know just with one simple facial expression and one one scream, he you get, you understand Masato Tanaka. Yeah, yeah, man, that, I mean, that's, I mean, you can't say it enough. Like, if nothing else, like, in, in all these matches, like, that's really the moment where the business picks up is when Tanaka fires up, it's like, okay, where are we going now with it? Because it usually ends, it usually is going to take you to a place that's even more wild than you were at before. Right, and I and we go from there to getting another sick chair shot. Like, and, and that's... It, that one blew me away because you could see the chair dent over his skull. And uh, again, it it gives me mixed emotions, but one of my favorite moments, I would say, in all of wrestling that I've seen is when Awesome looks at that chair, he looks at the dent, and you get a beautiful shot. Like, shout out to Kevin Dunn for it, but it's out of the corner with Tanaka getting back up again with that look on his uh, in his face. And you see Tanaka, like... Tanaka pops up. Awesome looks at the chair, looks at Tanaka, and his eyes bug out of his skull. <laughs> yeah, it's just amazing. Where he said, yes. you know, like I, I hit him in the head three times as hard as I could, and he's still alive. What is going on here? Yeah, it, um, it's it's like you said, man. That's a, that's one of those really good captures that they sometimes can find on con with cameras and with you know, with directing. Yeah, they they do an excellent job in this match, I would say, of recording it. And that's one of the good things about WWE doing an ECW show is you get an example of some of the good things that WWE does when it comes to production. Um, Of course, you lose cool things like entrance music. um, Yeah, yeah. But and that's still something like I haven't had much of an opportunity is like I know like I knew that New Jack came out to Natural Born Killers, but I had never heard it because I just heard the WWE network version of it. So like going on YouTube and being able to find it and realizing like, Oh, how cool this moment is like it. That's one thing that I wish that we would have had. And and it, I mean, you can't say enough. The, the Sandman's entrance, right. You know, (laughs) that, I mean, that's one of those things that like, cause I can't remember what they do on the network for him, what they do for inner, inner Sandman, what they, what do they change it to? Do you remember? Oh my gosh, it was um, I, I they changed it to I think it was like a generic ripoff version, but that okay. didn't even it yeah. and it sounded a little bit like it, but it wasn't that, that close. And yeah, I, 
And I remember as a kid even seeing, like, I heard that he came out to enter Sandman, and then, like, I would watch him on WWE CW, and he'd come out to that version. And I never really understood the appeal of Sandman until I got to hear him come out to, like, the entrance he did at One Night Stand 05 to enter Sandman. Like, how cool that was. Yeah, that's you're right, man. That that's one of the hardest things to really fully enjoy ECW is with the real themes and not that garbage that they that they put in there. And I understand, I get why they have to, because I'm sure right. it's a pretty hefty cost to do it. But man, yeah, it's because I, dude, for when RVD comes out to what, do, how do they cover up Walk? I for that's another one I can't remember. I I think they just play his WWE theme. Oh yeah, that's 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 yeah, that that just doesn't work. I mean, yeah, I, and yeah. I was just gonna say, even RVD isn't a. I think I saw an interview before he said that he wasn't even a fan of his WWE song. Like they made it, they wrote it just for him, but he said that he preferred Walk. Oh man, that I mean, what would always I was would pump me up for season three. Always was that point of the night where. The challenger comes out, and then unannounced, you hear it go, uh, the following contest is scheduled for one fall, and it's for the ECW World Television Championship. And right as he's finishing, bum, bam, here he comes. And, yeah, I mean, he just got amped. Like, I mean, that was just one of those themes when they would start playing it, even though it wasn't the Pantera one. You were like, oh, yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready for the match of the night, because more times than not, it would be. But anyway. Right. And it's just absolutely without the music, it it definitely hurts it. But I, I will give credit to the fact that like with Awesome and Tanaka, at least they didn't have a song that was quite as recognizable as those other ones. But it still would have been really cool to get those licensed themes. But back to the match, I know that we get another big spot with the tornado DDT onto two chairs that Tanaka always does. And I think it, he won a match or two with it against awesome. And I wish that commentary would have maybe got that over a little bit more where, you know, if he hits this move, the match could very well be over. Um, and I, I think that that is one of the flaws with this, it, with these types of matches is what, what, shows that enough is enough what is the finish and with this match i think that they do an excellent job of showing okay this is the finish but with a lot of finishes are anticlimactic um because like i think i remember he had the tornado dt under two chairs and i want to say it was maybe heat wave after he had awesome bombed awesome over the uh top to the concrete like the table and the concrete like so what? Why wouldn't you just pin him after that? Right, right. No, I mean you're right. I mean, it, it is. It would be hypocritical to say that these matches were awesome, but ROH matches, you know, are just oh, it's just a bunch of high spots and then a small package for the win. It's like, yeah, you know what? Right. A lot of ECW matches were a lot like that, where they would just throw the kitchen sink at each other, and then as a fan, you're sort of like, okay, so logically, I've seen all this. But what's the finish going to be? You know, you're wondering, like, what's it going to take to put these guys away? And I I mean, the the spot that they use to put them away, I think, works because it is definitely the biggest, like, it's the biggest move you could do for these. Right. But you're right. You you make a good point because it does get to a point where you're like, all right, so what's it going to be then if this isn't going to do it? You know, so I agree with you. 
Right. And I think I, I want to say it was Al Snow that said it, and I'm not 100% sure, but he said that the finish of the match should be the thing that gets the biggest pop. Um, and I think that they succeeded with this match where the finish got the biggest pop. Um, and maybe that wasn't always the case for all their matches, but I think that's what makes this match so special is when you you get to this point where, okay, what what's what could possibly finish this? And then you get to it, you get that pop, and you get the finish, and the crowd just goes nuts. Yeah, that, I mean, it, it's like I was just saying earlier, man, that that bomb through the, the table on the outside, I mean, just a sickening type of bump. Like, it looks just nasty. And then... Why not? Uh, fuck it. Just diving over the top, <laughs> going right over the top rope, and just pin him on the outside. Cool. Yeah, like forget the rules at this point. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. I mean, that's that. That's what made me laugh. I was just like, uh, this is like man, because like, you know, when you're saying like it's awesome, like it's definitely not the same Mike Awesome we used to see. It's like, yeah, Mike Awesome like could easily ma- do that back, you know, six years ago, back when these guys were doing it in ecw proper but just the way just the way he barely makes it over practically lands on his head barely covers him and old molyneux has to slide out there and do the one two three it's like (laughs) this is the perfect way for this to end in a way it was and we got we got a ton of spots in between but like that was to me one of the most dangerous bumps that he could have taken uh, for sure was in luckily he seemed to have landed okay uh, probably because he put all of his weight on Tanaka but uh, it, it was something it was definitely something to see um, we get like and one of the things I love about this match is until we get to that finish there's no real resting except for t- like dragging out more weapons everything else it's just you know spot here spot there spot here spot there and I like so one of the things like I wrote that Tanaka's version of a rest hold is throwing a chair at somebody where he just uh, there's a chair on top of Mike Gossam. He just spikes it down on top of him and just making that again, that gunshot noise where you you hear throughout the entire arena, it seems Um, just awesome stuff. And the Tanaka climbs to the top rope. He's got a bloody shoulder because of the power bomb and he hits the flying elbow with the chair onto the other chair. And the crowd just, they keep the crowd keeps building. I think that's one of my, my favorite, the crowd noise keeps building, I should say. And I think it's worth, it's, it's worth mentioning that the crowd is definitely not like they, they voice the displeasure of Mike awesome still after all these years, they right. drag him in the beginning, and what's awesome is, again, this match is so good that by the end of it, like they're they're chanting, well, what I forget, what, what is it they chant at the end? Is uh, it this this match rules? I yeah, believe. yeah, that's it. Yeah, so I mean, like they 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 turn the crowd back to it, just speaks to the power of the match. Yeah, and it, it's then they finally get around this point. They get Joey Styles because he hits the flying elbow with the chair, and there's a two count. There's ECW chance, and Joey Styles, who I he really when I think he's especially with his ECW stuff, like he's so good at making like at being 
incredulous, I would say, like where he says, how the hell did he kick out? And just with the conviction that he says it with is just um, it, it really helps put over the match to another extent, which I, it, it, it starts to get to the point where he's back in, into this match. He's a he's able to call it and he's able to accentuate the positives. Absolutely. I mean, that's that <clears throat> I just wish it would have happened, you know, minutes earlier. Right. Because it between that and the cutaways, it's just sort of like, guys, for real, this is a good match. Stay right. with it. Enjoy right. it. Give it some time. Yeah. But um, and we end up getting the another one of my favorite spots is Tanaka going back to it. He wants to hit the roaring elbow. And no matter what, no matter what, it's like, despite everything that Tanaka has done to Awesome, Awesome knows he has to avoid the roaring elbow. And so he goes for it. And Awesome hits him with this release German suplex, just drops him like right on the back of his head. And one of my favorite, I, I still like, I, I, it'd been a while since I watched this match. So I popped it on for, um, to do this review. And I forgot about the spot where Tanaka pops up and he gets just Goldberg speared and the back of his head hits a chair. Yeah. Like, Oh, nasty. Um, yeah, so he just awesome gets control just like that, and another big spot is a cutoff, and then he gets the top rope chair shot that we mentioned before, yeah. and it gets a two count. And again, it's like what what the hell can these guys do to um, to put each other away? If you if you're gonna jump off the top rope with a steel chair and hit somebody directly in the head, you don't pin them. Like, then I mean, I think the next thing that most people would do is just run. but um and after that we get you know awesome is going to go for an awesome bomb uh, off the top rope it looks like and tanaka hits the tornado ddt through the table um off the second rope and uh, awesome just takes this bump like head first right through the table and it was another like they're just throwing these six six spots out because I think that was another move that was a finisher during uh, I think it was one of their matches on TNN that yeah, they had that's and right. and so like they kicked out of that and it's like the crowd knows that because every every they just get louder and louder every time somebody kicks out of something um and and that's when we get the really really probably. As scary as all these spots were, the scariest of the night, I think, was the awesome bomb, the power bomb when they were facing the turnbuckle that they did through the remnants of the table. The, yeah, the remnant. Yeah, man, that's you're right. That probably <laughs> that's oh, the grossest man. of them. <laughs> yeah, because not only is there nothing to break their fall, but if if awesome like lets Tanaka fall maybe six inches shorter, he's going to get impaled to death yeah. by that metal rod that was sticking out. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's it's quite the spot. Yeah, man, that's that's a, <laughs> I was trying because I was thinking I was like, I know one of these matches has a broke the, the, the sharded table. And I was just in with, of course, it was like, dude, it's it's this one. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, of course, this is the one that has the. I mean, just a, an insane spot where it's like, yeah, why don't we use the the rest of the broken table and do something cool? <laughs> it, it's 
I, and it's something that I don't know if I'd seen before from their matches. I can't recall at least from which event it would have been, but it, it shows the fact like, okay, we have our greatest hits, but here's that new song that there we you just go. made. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, man. Um, so like I said, and it just keeps getting better and better. And the, the we get one last time, it's like... The, Tanaka has taken all this punishment and awesome has too, but Tanaka is staggered and they go for the awesome bomb. The, the one that we talked about where it was the finish and Tanaka one last time manages to escape it where he knows he doesn't have the energy to do any more moves. He's exhausted everything that he's done except the roaring elbow. Uh, he's, he's thrown it awesome and awesome still fighting and he's still in control. So the only thing that he can do is manage to drop out of this power bomb. And it's just not enough for him because that's when we get the, you know, immediately awesome just kicks him in the gut, power bombs him over the top, and then dies over for the finish. But it to me, it's just another one of those small spots where he didn't even do go for a move afterwards for a counter. He just dropped out because he just didn't have enough left in him except for yeah that one last def, um, defiant moment. Yeah. Um. So and then we get to the point with that top rope awesome bomb, which was I and I like the fact that no matter what happened, the top rope awesome or the awesome bomb over the top rope always seemed to be the move that would like put an exclamation point on things. So like I remember, I think Tanaka beat awesome on TNN for the ECW title. I think it was one of those matches and Afterwards, Awesome shook his hand and strapped him up with the belt, and then he jumped him and Awesome bombed him over the top rope through it, the table. It's, it's awesome. It's a great. <laughs> it's uh, you know no pun intended, but it's a great. It's also a great two weeks worth of programming because I remember it, Heyman's like trying to like we're not going to do this match. We're not going to do this match, and Cyrus tries to be like yeah, well let's do the match. Shaft some balls, Paul, blah blah blah, and they have this ball buster of a match on TNN. And you're right, they flip the belts. You're like, oh my God, Tanaka wins it. And then what's so cool is like what Awesome does afterwards. I think they wrestle a week later and Awesome wins it back, something like that. So, right. Yeah. It's something like that. It just, it, I'm glad you brought that up because that was something else I was reviewing with the other, like the other day, getting ready for this. It was like, oh yeah, I mean, when these guys did it on TV, it was really just as memorable. They, it, you know, I know the, the pay per view matches are the ones that we really mentioned and talked about, but they had some, barn burners on tv as well yes and, and that that's the thing about them was they never said oh let's take it easy today or maybe use a chair once or twice and then probably not a table you know we'll, we'll say that for the big event they always gave 100 percent, and whether i mean with we saw what happened with Mike Awesome, which is unfortunate but the amazing thing is Masato Tanaka is still wrestling in Japan yeah, yeah. Like, that's one thing I have not seen. Have you seen him wrestle recently? Um, I think the last match I saw him have was with MVP on a New Japan show. So this was like probably eight years ago or whatever. And and it was it was solid. It wasn't bad. But I I'm just still amazed at the fact that he keeps going. Yeah, yeah. That's wild. That's incredible longevity. Incredible. Yeah, and especially with I just. I, what, one of the things about him that I thought was really cool is I, I read um, Daniel Bryan's book and he talked about how for a week or two he trained at the, the FMW dojo because um, Shawn Michaels went over there to um, 
referee a match and i think he brought kendrick brian kendrick and daniel bryan and lance cade with him and they trained at the dojo for a week or two and they said that masato tanaka was a trainer and afterwards he'd be um like he's just this big like this big fierce dude and afterwards he'd hop on a bike and say bye-bye and then he would drive away like (laughs) (laughs) so like that to me that's always what i'll have to remember about masato tanaka is despite this um just how fierce he is he's probably a very nice guy (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. so it's just it's a shame too that we i can't imagine now with the way independent pro wrestling is and guys like pco where they've had another like their career is better than it ever has been if mike austin was still around what he would be it's um it's a tremendous what if i think so let me ask um do you have anything else on the match itself Um, because i because when we segue into this there's definitely some interesting stuff to talk to you about the legacy i just want to make sure you're good on the match where you get the rest of your stuff in uh the i guess the only thing that i wanted to talk about afterwards was the um I, one thing that I noticed later was after the power bomb um, through the table and then the dive and the pin, there's a moment where Awesome and Tanaka like clasp hands and it's almost like they're like, okay, are you okay, brother? And yeah, I'm okay. Are you okay? Like without having to ask it. That's um, man, that's some special stuff. And when it comes to wrestling, you know, when guys, you know, that's just, that's one of those things that, that we almost as fans like, we, that's something we just can't appreciate except right. when we see it like you know we we understand what it means but man that's that's one of those special things that like just wrestlers have with one another and it's a great thing that they caught and on camera right. that you could see that they have that moment because you're right it's a special moment right and i i thought that that was just really awesome and shows between the two just the respect that these guys had for each other and especially with with the moves that they're doing and the complete trust that you have to have in someone like in, in a thing like with a power bomb through a table or something like that like the once if if awesome drops tanaka short on a power bomb he's going to be hitting the floor or the back of his head with the back of his head like it it just shows like, okay, they have complete trust in each other and that bond that they have is something that's really unbreakable. Um, yeah. Yeah. You're right, man. I mean, it's, it, it's one of those things where, again, you just can't help but think like if, if Mike awesome, you know, is not, it doesn't pass away in 06. If he doesn't take his own life, like what is there, is there another act to him? It's tough to say because he had pretty right. much re- he had retired in 06 anyway. So it's it's hard to say. I mean, we would I'd, I'd love to think that he would come back and do something. You know, he would go back because he does he does do Japan after his WWE run. Right. For a bit and successful and everything. He's even briefly in TNA for a minute uh, before he does one night stand. And I'm sure there was considerable interest from WWE to bring him back after one night stand. I think his quote was the money, uh, the money had to be right yeah. for, it to, um, for it to happen. But I'll tell you, man, he, I don't know if there's somebody I, I just watch with almost just I, uh, with a greater sense of tragedy, as I was mentioning earlier than, than Mike awesome, even though like, you know, guys like Owen Hart, yeah, you definitely can't help but think about his tragic death when you watch him right. wrestle. You're like, oh, man. But there's something about, like, 
because it's not even just Mike Awesome taking his own life. Like the thing that I, I just feel bad about a lot of it, you know, we recently we had the last dance that was on ESPN and yeah. an amazing documentary series. But what got high, highlighted in there a couple of times is like Scotty Pippen for being one of the best players also had some of the lowest moments that kind of lingered on with his reputation afterwards, sadly, because he was much better than those couple of bad moments that he had. Right. Mike Awesome's career seemed to be defined by that, that controversial jump from ECW to WCW. And, you know, the circumstances, I mean, I, it seems like the overall, the overriding uh, reason wise, of course, hey, I, I don't really have a contract with you. ECW said, hey, we do have a contract with you. And he wanted he wanted the money. Can we really fault anybody in the late 90s who wanted to get you know, who was talented in pro wrestling and wanted to get money. I, I can't because Lord knows, I mean, that stock was only going to be high for so long. You got to cash in while you can and get it, especially when, let's face it, we all love ECW, but not the most reliable when it came to uh, payroll. So I feel bad because that seemed to haunt him and stay with him right. after a, after he made the jump. And I mean, his WCW run is just sad and pathetic. And I remember the um I remember he did an interview where I think he said that what really hurt him was when Hogan had the Bash of the Beach yeah. thing and how because I, I don't know like I, so awesome is the cousin of Horace Hogan. Right. Who's the nephew of Hulk Hogan. So I don't know how that works out. Uh, family tree wise between Hogan and awesome, but for all intents and purposes, people just assume they're distantly related. So when Hogan does the thing at bash at the beach, like awesome, awesome felt that after that happened because he was at least associated with Hogan in some respect that he just got dogged and buried afterwards. And that's where all the shameful, <laughs> shameful gimmicks appear. For yeah. Him. And, and, yeah, go ahead. Oh, you go ahead, man. Uh, I was Jump just going to say, it amazes me. It just, I, no matter politics or whatever is going on, you get a guy that's 6'6", 290 pounds of muscle, as athletic as a cruiserweight, and he, the man can put on ridiculous matches, and you, and you mess it up as a booker. I just, it's inexcusable because no matter what you do, you look at that talent that he has and I, you know, especially for a big guy in wrestling, a athletic big guy in wrestling, unless you're somebody like Bull Buchanan and you have no other skill, no offense to Bull Buchanan, <laughs> but, but with you, it's really tough to mess that up. And the fact that it happened, I, like you said, I think it adds to the tragedy of Mike Awesome where his career career was more of what could have been rather than what actually was yeah and i mean the kind of the icing on top is like just how how sad his wwf run was where it's just like he comes in he does win the hardcore title but i think he injures his knee which takes him out of most of or the rest of 01 most of 02 and by the time he comes back like he's just jobbing on velocity to to jerry which you know no shame in that he another ecw alumni no shame there right. But right. still, I, I don't think Mike Awesome should be losing to Tajiri. But you know, see, Tom, this is the part where we have to take that macro view of things. You have a job. I have a job. You know, we when we go to our jobs, like there are a lot of times that 
you and I are going to be asked to do things that we're like, oh, man, I don't want to do that. But you right. do it because that's your job. You earn your paycheck and you know, like, you know, if if um, you put a good face on, you get the stuff done, it helps get you in line to move to that next spot. The thing that sometimes and I have to remind myself of this when it comes to these wrestlers that we love that will routinely think like, oh, man, he didn't get a good enough push. I mean, sometimes and I mentioned this, I think, when I did the Triple H versus Austin one with Scott Criscolo. Man, sometimes people don't want to do business with guys that are assholes. And very true. And that's 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 something we'll never really know. Like we can from one we'll hear one person say this person acted this way. We can hear something completely different from somebody else. You know, what's the real truth when it comes to how how these people are? It, it's hard to say. But there is something to the fact that like do we when we wonder why these guys aren't pushed, is there something else maybe that has nothing to do with wrestling? Is it maybe something to do with just the way they act backstage, the way they take either uh, criticism or take direction because the thing about awesome is like where does he thrive he thrives in an environment where there is little to no direction it seems it is like you True. guys you know i don't i don't know what, how ecw producing slash agent uh, you know relationships were with wrestlers but it seems to be and i'm sure you've seen this too like you guys just kind of you guys figure it out this is the finish that we want you guys figure out the way that we get there and then let it go whereas you know, the, what we've heard about WWE over the last, you know, 10 plus years is that it's it's very tight. You have to do this. You have to do that. And there's really no leeway. If you get be if you try to if you're the wrong person who tries to take leeway, you end up losing it all. Like, I mean, you, it does depend on who it is, of course. But that's that's just one of those things I also do wonder, because the, I, I know that I know his his. um Especially when we talk about WWE, like he said, he hated it. It was way too political and stuff. And it's like, yeah, it is to some degree, but also I'm, I do wonder what have what's the kind of attitude one brings in there at the same time, and how do they adjust to? Okay, this is an ECW. Guess what? You got to do this. I'm sorry, but that's the way we do wrestling, whether you like it or not. This is the way you have to. These are the rules that are involved with our type of wrestling and stuff. So, I mean, and that's. And that's in no way defending it, and, but it's a way to maybe justify why some of these things happen to some of these guys. Because what I loved was, hell yeah, dude, I'm telling like, the match that is, is such a bummer that we never got is The Undertaker versus Mike Awesome at WrestleMania. Oh, man. Because man. that, that right there, man, that's the missing Undertaker feud that, that we never got, that I, that I, that. I feel like we should have. And it, and Tom, I think we have to say that the thing that may have worked the most against Mike Awesome are these types of matches against Tanaka. Because let's say you're one of those guys in the balcony. Yeah, you're looking upon this with reverence, but you're also like, man, I ain't never doing that. I'm not doing that with that guy. Uh-uh. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? Right, absolutely. I And I think that's a really interesting way to look at it. And I, I think one of the things that would hurt awesome would be the fact that these matches a lot of them would be viewed with having not much psychology 
because like when Austin would go in like against a Kid Cash or Spike Dudley, like he would pretty much just kill them. Um, I mean, in a, in a safe way, of course, but like he would hit them with these power bombs. He would do the dive over the ropes within the first minute. It could have easily been something like along the lines of, well, you should save that dive for later in the match and build to it. And it could be just a disagreement of wrestling philosophy that could have hurt him too. Um, and like I said, we, like you said, we weren't there, uh, to really know, but I could e- easily see with adjusting to that WWE style or adjusting of WCW style, how different it would be compared to ECW. Because I even know I read, I want to say it was the Hardy's book where they talked about, I think Jeff Hardy had a match with Jerry Lynn on a, um, yeah. it was after Jerry Lynn came over for the light heavyweight title and Jerry Lynn had all these spots that he wanted to do, and Jeff had to say, "Well, we have a six-minute match, so you you have to fit him in. You have to cut out, you know, pick your best stuff and cut the rest out." And I think that's a huge fundamental difference between uh, WWE and ECW, or even WWE and independent wrestling today, where a, a lot of times it's just, "Hey, here's the finish. You get there," um, just like you'd said. Um, but it's WWE is such a different animal compared to the rest of the wrestling world yeah man that's um yeah it's it's a shame it's it would have been cool if um if you know after one night stand 05 they had found a way to work it out and bring him in just for maybe if it if maybe it lasts a year maybe it doesn't right it would have been pretty cool though to see mike awesome floating in WWF there for that that little that little part of the ruthless aggression era just to have him in there that would have been really something because yeah. I mean you really could have, especially especially again like just like just like when he got the belt in the first place the the reason he got the ECW title is Taz is going to WWF so what would have been great is what happens not long after ECW one night stand 06 RVD gets busted they got to move the belt off of him awesome would have been a great guy if he had if if he was also if he was healthy enough to be able to manage it, imagine having that guy on that sci-fi show. That could have been something. That that's another one of those what ifs. You're like, man, what would have been like if Mike Awesome had been the anchor, even temporarily of of that show? We'll never know. What else you oh. got though, man? What else you got uh, in your uh, your notebook? Oh, I just wanted to say that uh, off of that, like I. If we would have had Awesome on that ECW show instead of Deathmatch Big Show that was wrestling there, oh, uh, oh, man, man, I couldn't imagine with with Heyman in his corner being able to do the talking for Awesome. Yeah. Man, that would be beautiful. Um, one one of the last things that I had written down was to, getting back to the match itself was the power bomb on Molino was a nice little. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I I don't know if that was planned before the match or what was going on, but all of a sudden they cut to the camera and it's just a complete like Kevin Nash jackknife power bomb just yeah. kind of drops him down like here you go man sorry. Um, and then one of the last things that I saw of this match was Mike Awesome. It was like he he wanted to be that tough guy till the end. He waited until he was just about out the curtain, and then he put his arms over the two security guys yeah. to help him walk out. Like <laughs> I he's know. A gladiator, where he's yeah. he's like, man, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna save face around these guys, but it's like I'm actually really really beat up. We're gonna need some help back here. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. 
Man, well, but well, so Tom, tell um, I know. So I I love that you guys recently you did a three part DX 2006. Re- that is insane, man. That is crazy. <laughs> I I I couldn't believe it. Like when I was like when I saw the first one, I was like, oh, part one, okay, cool, maybe two. I was like, there's a three. They're three part that I mean, that just speaks of what you guys were doing. That was really, really cool. I know you just had your seven episode, which that's just that how you got I when I saw the length on, I was like, you guys did an hour and 45 minutes on Dustin Rhodes as seven. Wow. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah, that episode kind of I I expected it to be a lot shorter as well. Uh, and then we we just got talking, you know, that um it was just starting to flow well. And I checked the little timer on Skype, and I'm like, oh my gosh, how did we do this? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the the DX one was a lot of fun because that's something that I remember really fondly when I was a kid. And going back to it, looking at some of the sophomoric stuff that they did and realizing that that wasn't quite for me. Um, But just the building of the feud, we went from the DX McMahon's feud from, I think it was June, like starting when DX reformed all the way to September when they had their Hell in a Cell against McMahon's. And what a ride it was. So tell me, man, what um, what's coming up next for you guys? You got anything on tap? Uh, yes, so we have actually we just recorded to, and released today uh, our May nineteenth episode on Kane. Um, oh, perfect! Yeah, right on. That makes sense. Total yes. sense. Oh, yeah. So that that was a a lot of fun to watch, despite having to sit through um, two Kane Big Show matches. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, that that was rough. But we do we we still have managed to have a good time covering this. Um, we also have been doing a thing called the worst of wrestling where we are taking the some of the most like lower rated matches of all time like so some by Dave Meltzer others by that are just considered some of the worst matches ever or just really bizarre ones and we do a watch along with them so the next one that we're releasing is the Chamber of Horrors match from Halloween Havoc uh, we're very familiar with that one, Tom. So it's a good pick. It's a good pick. It was a fun yeah. pick for me as a kid. I loved watching that match, that pay-per-view. So, yes, yes, I have fond memories from on both sides of that one. So, good stuff. Where can um, where are you guys on Twitter? We are at Stranger Rings One. Perfect. Okay. Good. All right, man. Well, um. We are on so the podcast. We are on Twitter at New Blood Pod. We're on Facebook, New Blood Rising Podcast. We've got a variety of different things that are coming out. Um, I'm getting a little bit backed up, I know, because of um, uh, my impending move to a different city and stuff like that. So we just got a little bit of uh, ironing out to do with that. And then it's going to be time soon to be heading right back into season five and really doing some um, really doing some tough work through there. We got to get through and, pl- and really plow through 1992. So that way we can, um, you know, get closer to the end of the season, which we're still a ways away. So no big deal on that. But uh, we'll be seeing you guys real soon again. I am on Twitter at William Rinkin 83 and we thank you all for downloading.
Cactus. Godspeed, Mick Foley. 